Hi guys, welcome back to Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. And today is another fantastic day. I've got Barbie Engel with me for an interview. Um, and for me, this will be a bit of a, a trip down memory lane in a weird way, because for a long, long time, I, if you asked me, who are you? What are you doing? I would have said, I'm a pain physician. And I ran probably one of the, the I probably the greatest, the biggest pain service in New Zealand on a, on a private basis. Um, so I was completely involved with that. And one of the, the specialties or the subspecialty I was looking, I was, I was interested in is nerve type pain and especially complex regional pain syndrome. So I had many, many, many patients. And, but having said that in, I was far too involved and my heart was far too involved with patients in a system where there's often not the support they need. And I burned out. So in 2014, I left, I left the field and, uh, and it left a huge void in my heart. And nowadays I've, I've, I've transformed. I redefined myself as an anesthetist and I'm very, very happy with where, where I am. But if you go back through my show, I mean, we've done now what two and a three interviews and there's only one single pain patient in there. And that says a lot. So I guess intrinsically I shied away today. I come full circle. Um, I have got Bobby Ingle with me and Whilst, uh, whilst we will be talking about mental health, I think it is so important that I jump over my shadow and highlight the plight of people with chronic pain because chronic pain affects at least one in four, probably one in three people on this world, which significantly reduces quality of life. If you then say that actually each of these people has at least one significant other, then that means actually that chronic pain affects half of the population of this world. Now that's a bloody big portion of this world. And if you then talk about neuropathic pain, neuropathic pain means pissed off nerves that do their own thing and cause pain. Then, then you talk 1%, one in 100 have got chronic neuropathic pain. Again, shit lots of people. So therefore, I cannot actually justify to just close my eyes to that such important subgroup of, of, of our society. And therefore, yeah, I come in full circle. And today we're going to talk chronic pain with Barbie Ingle. And why Barbie? Well, Barbie is an absolute bloody force of nature. That's as best as I can describe. Normally, I try to sort of look people up and say, okay, these are their achievements. That's what they have done. And maybe give you a list of achievements. And I was joking with Barbie earlier. If we do that now, then that's that's pretty much the interview. That's about 45 minutes by the time I've read out everything that she has achieved in the last 10 years, everywhere she has presented, et cetera. Um, and we're going to come to that and we're going to come to her driving force. But let's just accept it for, uh, for what it is. Barbie is truly an expert in the field regrettably, because she got to know neuropathic and chronic pain far too well. So, Barbie, welcome onto my show. Thank you so much. I'm excited to be here and share with your audience, Stefan, and I am looking forward to our conversation. Mm. It is a weird situation to actually find ourselves in here today, because if you go back uh, you have done a lot of achievements now, and you are completely a redefined, retransformed woman, a woman with a passion and a mission to go out there and to make it known that there are people who are suffering quietly because they don't have a bone sticking out. You look like a normal person. And and here you are grumpy, ripping the head of your, your, your partner, and no one can see that it feels like someone is boiling, pouring boiling water over you every second of the day. Um, so therefore, let's highlight that. But you're this, you're this, this powerhouse now. Who were you before the pain set in? Who was, oh. who was, yeah, who was the Barbie? Who was sort of? <laughs> what were the dreams of the younger Barbie version? Absolutely. So I grew up since the age of four, knowing my purpose on earth was to be a cheerleader. 
And that's what I was doing. Cheerleading, dance, <laughs> yes. gymnastics. I was an athlete. I competed. I, I did other sports. I did soccer and track and and um, I sang in the uh, church choir and I was a Girl Scout all, from brownies all the way to cadets. That's something here in America that we have. And um, OK. And so I, I was living my life to the fullest, although I really wasn't necessarily believing or living in my purpose. And so I was taking life for granted. And but I trained my whole life to be a cheerleader and went all the way through college when I graduated college, I started a cheerleading and dance training company about a week after I graduated from college. I didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I wanted to be a cheerleader still. So started my own company and started teaching other people how to be cheerleaders. Yes. And then and then I the next year after that, I got the head coaching position at a Division A school college and started coaching on the collegiate level. And uh, teaching other people how to be the best they can be, as well as giving out scholarships so people could go to school, get education. At the same time, they were living out their dreams. So I literally thought I was going to be doing that the rest of my life. And an eight-second car accident triggered RSD, and my whole life changed in that eight seconds. How old were you when that car accident occurred? 29. And I had gone through endometriosis starting at age 26 and thought I had conquered the world because I got through that. And then all of a sudden, this hit me even harder than the endometriosis did. So for you guys out there, I'll, I'll interrupt our interview from now and then, give you a quick medical summary. Um, so RSD or CRPS, these are uh, acronyms, short words for um, what well, the official word is complex regional pain syndrome, which means typically that a small injury has uh, completely uh, affected your body in, in such a way that you could never imagine, i.e. you, you, let's say you, you sprain your wrist or you, you, you break your ankle and suddenly the pain is so much more than you would expect from the original injury. And your hand in this case will start doing weird, weird things. So your hand might be white, blue, purple. So their color changes, their temperature changes when you compare them with both sides. There will be sweating changes that the one hand might be dry and, and the other one, or it might be pouring, literally pouring, pouring sweat out of the hand. Um, your nails might either fall out or you might get calluses as you think you might, God, what is going on? Uh, swelling of the tissue, uh, the muscles will not behave. I mean, if I get if I get a dollar for every person who was uh, nodding like that when I asked, "Do you drop things?" <laughs> oh <laughs> and I, yes. And I had many patients who actually uh, completely got rid of their their normal porcelain, etc. They bought camping stuff, plastic stuff, because that at least can't break. <laughs> That's me. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So that is all part and parcel of it. So the normal function of this, this limb that is typically affected from that injury is completely down the line. More importantly, the pain is there all the time. And when we say neuropathic pain, then it means the pain is not feeling like when you sprained yourself, which typically does a bit of an ache. And then when you bang it, oh, my God, okay, that hurts. Or when you use it, oh, yes, I've got a broken bone. No, the pain is there all the time goes like waves over the day, typically worse at night. And it's typically quite characteristic. People describe it as, well, instead of me telling how it feels, you tell me, how does it feel for you? It's a burning fire pain as if somebody put lighter fluid in my veins and caught it on fire. And you only thing you can really concentrate on or think about is how to put this fire out. And for me, it started in my face, neck and shoulder, spread down my arm, jumped to my foot, then it went up the whole right side of my body and then it spread body wide and it, it is fire. <laughs> then I also have other pains that come and go like lightning bolts. Sometimes it feels like someone has a jackhammer on me, cutting, shooting, stabbing. Those were more like coming and going and ebbing and flowing. Whereas the burning fire pain is all the time. And your goal, even though you're, you have this muscle weakness and atrophy and all these other things going on in the discoloration the, the vertigo, the thing that I had to get under control 
was that burning fire pain. Mm, absolutely. And there are other things. So it's, it's typically your sensation is wrong. So there is uh, there are patients who literally, if that is, let's say, the hand where it started, it's, it doesn't start, well, the injury is there on the hand, but it typically is a quarter of the body syndrome normally. So the pain will affect everything up here. To a degree, women can't wear a bra because just the weight of the bra is killing them. Uh, I've seen a man. Feeling who, fancy. Uh, absolutely. Very good. I've seen a man in my, in my life who was basically, when I met him, he was sitting on a hospital bed, sleeping upright, naked, in the, well, naked from the, the top there. down. Um, yeah. Because you literally can't lie down. The touch of you lying down is excruciating. Yeah. And so, my husband on the bed, he built a foot cradle to keep the blankets up off of my body. So he could still be on his side of the bed. We, we have two twin beds pushed together and so that he doesn't affect my side of the bed. <laughs> and the, the, we can use the same covers. I have a bed cradle that can hold the bed sheets off of me because just the bed sheets can hurt. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, you have got uh, the, the classic, the classic thing. So is this this kind of combination of very weird, weird uh, sensations and looking at you, Bobby, come on, you're normal. Why are you in the back at work? Come on here. You look fine. There's a smile on you. You can't be in pain. Oh, right. God, you get all that shit. We got to talk about I that. I get that. That's bull crap. Okay. And <laughs> let me just say <laughs> that that is what I hear that. And then and then I'm like, but you're not here on the days where like I might give you this hour of my time, but then I go back to bed and you don't see me with the chronic vomiting and the crying from the pain and passing out from my pain levels being a level 10. Um, I spent almost seven years in a wheelchair and um, have a lot of atrophy and, and uh, bone and muscle loss, deterioration. And people don't see that aspect of it. And, and I'm like, well, God granted me beauty he did not grant me health. <laughs> and so I might look pretty to you sitting there, but that doesn't mean that I'm a healthy person. I try to do all the things I need to do to be as healthy as I can be, but that's still not the gift that I was given. And I think that together we have actually pretty much nailed what a complex regional pain syndrome is um now just once uh, one more thing to say because you you're an overachiever there's no two ways around it <laughs> most people you know crps is not not such a common disease please that's a rare disease uh, well unfortunately not so rare because as i said i must have had Maybe I was attracting them, but I had easily 100, 200, 300 patients in my care uh, over the years. So um, it is. If you know, you're a good doctor, patients will talk about you and then more patients will come. So I guess that's so. probably I guess so. what happened. I guess so. But also I knew what to look for. I knew what to look for. That is. And whilst others, uh, others might either not have the interest or the knowledge or, or the, the, the willingness to that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And so it, it's very hard. So it's often an undiagnosed uh, thing uh, when people get the insurance says, well, he has got a sprain and he can't go back to work. What the hell? Let's get a pain right. physician involved with the view of finding out that he's a fraud and getting rid of him and right. something like that. And that is that was typically what was or often what was happening in my field. Right. So. So CRPS is one thing. When I say overachiever, normally it stays as a quadrant disease. So quadrant right. up to the pelvis, et cetera. In your case, it has spread throughout the body. Um, and it has also affected the inner organs. And again, right. this is this is uh this is even rarer, but it certainly I had probably a dozen or so patients that like you, um, that were just an, an enigma to people who were not trained in pain medicine and for them i mean people they, they had all kind of labels from oh she's an anorexic 
oh, she must be bulimic um, because of she's vomiting all the time. She must be putting right. her fingers in, you know, stuff like that in your finger. Oh, God. Oh. If I could stop throwing up, that would just be amazing. But mm. I also, secondary to RSD, I have one of the symptoms you can have if, if it affects your organs is gastroparesis. So I will eat and food will sit in my stomach for hours to days and then it molds. And my body's like, get this out. And mm. if it can't go one way, it comes the other. So, Correct. yes, I've heard, oh, you you have to be anorexic. Why don't mm. you want to eat? It's like, mm. no, literally I'm eating. It's just sitting there and it gets so painful mm. that it, my body rejects it mm. any way it can. Mm. And we had, that's right. I mean, and we had one case where actually two other CRPS sufferers um and me kind of banded together, got a third lady up from the South Island. Uh, and she was literally, when I saw her, she was 34 kilogram, 35 kilogram, uh, a physiotherapist, um, doctor of physical therapy in, in your uh, neck of the woods, and uh, literally collapsing and doing things. There was nothing to her. And that was really bizarre. And I asked a gastroenterologist, so a doctor who specializes in the tummy function to admit her because she was treated for a year down there as an eating disorder. And she said, look, I haven't got an eating disorder. And it took a lot of convincing. My colleague actually followed suit. He helped us. Um, he got her admitted to the hospital. They did studies on her gut and saw shit. There's nothing happening there. There is, it's complete exactly. paralysis or indeed just weird, weird function. Um, the small and then, nerve fibers, for me, they they did biopsies. I've had uh, uh, nine colonoscopies and eight endoscopies. Hmm. And um, the finally, the my latest GI doctor did it. And he said that the um, they had already diagnosed me with gastroparesis a few uh, gastroenterologists ago. But um, this one actually did a biopsy and looked at the nerves and said my small nerves were not firing. So my stomach just wouldn't spasm because the nerves aren't firing. And that's what normally happens. If you do a, uh, a gastroscopy, then you see the, the stomach do, getting waves of, of mm -hmm. normal movement. And that's basically like a small washing machine sort of turning things over in there so that that basically the acid can get to everything, start breaking it down. And then the same happens in the gut. There's a healthy uh, movement happening there. Peristalsis, it's called. That's what we'd like to see. That's what normal. That's completely shot uh, in some patients with CRPS and other chronic pain syndromes. CRPS is just a, a classic one because it is such a chameleon and a weird disease that can affect the whole body and indeed every organ there. So bloody hell. So you went, you were an overachiever before you started. Okay, let's let's I give was. you that, okay? <laughs> Type A personality. What, may I ask what, what attracted you to the cheerleading? But what was it actually that the cheerleading gave you? Well, it gave me a lot. Um, at the time when I, what, what attracted me was I saw these beautiful, I was four and I saw these beautiful people down on the field, all doing the same thing and, and creating a, a movement in the audience. And I want to help be a creator and be a part of that leading the crowd. And so, um, it, it just was, I think in me. And now I say, I, I can't physically do what I used to do. So now I say I'm a mental cheerleader instead of a physical cheerleader because I physically can't go do backflips anymore and get thrown 30 feet in the air and get caught and lead the crowd. Well, I could lead the crowd in a chant, but I couldn't get them to, to do the wave or, or, or that type of thing, physically give them a show. And those are the types of things. I got responsibility and time management and organization from cheerleading and from being involved in that and being a part of a team and communicating with others all came from being a part of a team that I could be a leader with other leaders. And so that's kind of where that overachieving came from, but also my goal and want to be a lifetime cheerleader. Thank you. Because I had probably mis misconceptions and, and 
like maybe many others out there, uh, look at cheerleading. What What do you mean? That's a sport? You're kidding me. Um, kind of a thing. But It's going to be part of the Olympics starting in 2022. There you go. And if you actually look at circus arts and look at other other extreme forms of, of the body doing amazing things, well, there's not so much difference, actually, when you start looking through what uh, some of the cheerleading procedures or, or um, techniques are and 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 acrobatics, uh, for example, uh, what, what the procedures there are. So now and I can see actually the leadership and and a highly motivated team of type A personalities, um, <laughs> some of them narcissistic, some of them. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Some of them. Yeah. <laughs> that and, will be and interesting. I tell people. I didn't hang out with the cheer. I was on the cheer team and I did my part and I, and I completed my responsibilities. But when it came down to friends, my friends weren't necessarily on the cheer team. They were all pretty much all of them. I was friends with the cheerleaders, but I was friends with all the other people. And so some were not athletes. Some were, were book studies, you know, they all had different backgrounds, but I agree there, there can be some narcissism in, the performer, just like there is with an actor, an actress, a comedian, somebody that's on stage. But that doesn't mean all of them are like that. Oh, absolutely. A hundred percent agreed. hundred percent agreed. But you need, you have to be a special kind of person to go out there and to, to, to do that. Uh, that's right. To lead indeed. And to have a, um, a, an ability to take sort of planned risks and a, uh, an ability to, to just don't give a damn. We'll just do it and we'll do it right. That's actually a, a hallmark of psychopathy, but let's not go there. That's the extreme other version. No, no, let's, let's move that, let that interview back. Let, okay. I think the reality is, now I guess what, I'm, what I was trying to say is you have to be a strong woman to be in that field. And okay. that can either make you or break you. Mm-hmm. Um, because when you're, completely focused on what you're doing and then something like that drags the feet from underneath you literally in your case literally that destroys you and that's what i've seen again again with with people i've interviewed with ptsd with with soldiers who were either special forces or very very sort of combat orientated units they were they were physical masters they were they were their brain was sharp as, and then a little bit of lead about that size fired by a machine gun at rather rapid speed was suddenly putting that stop to it. Like eight seconds of a, of a, a car traffic accident yeah. changed your life forever. Mm-hmm. And they what- told me it was going to be, they told me it would be three or four days that I had whiplash and I would be fine. And here we are almost 20 years later. So, mm-hmm. um, it definitely, the, they got it wrong. They didn't recognize what was going on, the mm. medical providers. It took 42 providers to get it wrong. And then the 43rd provider got it right. And <laughs> by then I had lost everything in my life and mm. had to had to regroup, had to be strong and show my strength and stand up and say, I have to rebuild my life. I have to find ways and it may take me longer. It's going to be difficult. No one said it's fair. No one said it's easy. It's not. But I picked myself back up and went forward and created a, a whole new life. So again, a little bit translation to you guys. Uh, in order to see a doctor, either insurance-wise or et cetera, I don't know, but three, four weeks, I would say, realistically. So make that 42 doctors um, to get the diagnosis. That's at least five years. What was it the reality? Three years. Three years. Three well, years. That was, took, that was quick. That was just to get a diagnosis. It took seven years to get a treatment that was helpful. Right. So, it, it, but I tried a lot of treatments during that seven years. Mm. They just over-treated me, under-treated, under-treated me and mistreated me because they didn't know what they were treating. Mm. And so each of them did what their specialty was. Mm. But until I got to a doctor that looked at my skin he looked at all my medical records he listened to my story and then said I think I know what to do but I want you to go home and research and be okay with what we're going to do mm-hmm. and and it took me about a week and I came back and and got a, a test and he said yep you're positive and now we can move from here 
uh, with this proper diagnosis and it still took another, I still went through treatments, but it took four more years to get the right treatment. And it wasn't one treatment. One got me walking again out of a wheelchair, but then I've done multiple treatments that combined together have brought me to today. And that's exactly from wheels to heels. And that's yes. the name of your book. So that's, that's right. Come on, show us, show us, show us. That's what. Uh, and yes. that's so, exactly. And wheelchair to heels, but heels is spelled heels. And that is because it's all about health and navigating this health system and what it took for me to get the care I needed, along with tips and tricks of everyday living. A lot of times, doctors don't get to tell us all the things we need to know as a, pa a chronic patient or a thick case file as they call them here. And um, this book can help you through at the end of each chapter, there's quick tips of things that, that people can take and, and use in their life to live more life for themselves if they are dealing with a neuropathic or chronic pain. Mm. And the, uh, wonderful, absolutely wonderfully said. Mm. And what you have described is also actually the the journey that is most promising and most helpful to you as a patient. There, we are unfortunately we live in a society where we want quick fixes. We want it now. Hey, there is a new drug out there that will fix me. I'll just take two tablets in the morning. That's it, and then I'm about ah. to cheerleader. Yeah, my ass. Um, yeah, that doesn't, doesn't work. <laughs> no. And I think that is that affects every chronic condition um, that there is from people with heart failure to diabetes to to lung problems, kidney problems. Uh, very specifically, though, to people with complex pain syndromes uh, or complex regional pain syndrome as an example of that. And therefore, please, guys, so first of all, you need to find someone who A, believes you, B, to actually has the skill to make the diagnosis. And that we have already heard in your case took ages. Yes. Then you have to understand that there are so many symptoms. There's not one tablet that possibly could do that. And tablets in their own right is only one tiny, tiny bit of the treatment that you can achieve. And if you look at treatments, guys, so you can imagine on here, that side, you have got the least invasive and on here, the most invasive things. Well, over there, we start with sort of physiotherapy, psychology, uh, and not to say it's in your head. We'll come to that in a moment. Um, but hell, there's so much you have to deal with and you want to do it all alone. Really? Oh, physiotherapy, occupational therapy. Um, all these kind of things, uh, then, then treatments that go through the skin. Uh, here in New Zealand, we use clonidine as a patch that works quite well with nerve pain, lidocaine patches. There are a number of patches that you can put on the skin that can be of benefit um, to some of your pain and pain problems. But for example, that patch will not necessarily make your muscles better. Right. So that might help you with the burning pain, but then you need to do uh, something with the muscles. And that might include actually things like nutrition, higher doses of magnesium to actually uh, stop the muscle cramps and spasms, those kind of things. So you already have sort of nutrition. Well, I haven't mentioned that yet, but that is a key thing. I'll come key. to that with you. Key, key, key. Um, so least invasive over there, then come sort of maybe injections, tablets, um, kind of things there, but then more sort of interventional kind of things that you might do that are maybe a bit more short acting, sort of that could be injections, infusions of certain medications, where you go to the, as an outpatient to the hospital and they, they do things to you. And then you go home, hopefully have got a, a pain window, a pain holiday, so to speak, in response to those infusions. And then uh, down the line, you've got the really hardcore stuff like implants into the spine and things like that. All of them can play a role. And it all depends upon, upon you as a patient, your combination, the availability of certain things to you. If you're in the middle of Alaska, well, there is probably not a chance that you can just go to get a spinal cord stimulator. Um, no. Neither do I say that everyone has to have one. That's bullshit either. Um, but there is, there's a myriad of interventions. There are a myriad of symptoms out there. And the, 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 the key skill for you 
as a patient is to become knowledgeable and see what is out there. And in a systematic approach, try those things out, add those things in, work with someone who has experience in treating complex regional pain syndrome patients, work with a very good physiotherapist. I think the physiotherapy is the key thing. Get it moving again and learn how to move, how to work around things, how to deal with things that maybe uh, were impossible before. Because when you're in a wheelchair, to actually get out of the wheelchair, now that is a skill. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yes. So for you, for example, coming back to, to wonderful Bobby here, Bobby, you're sitting there, you're nodding with your head. There's actually I, movement. This, yeah. this is one of my favorite interviews that I've ever done because you're so right on and so knowledgeable and as hearing it from, from your perspective is just, yes, 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 yes. That, that's exactly, you're like describing my life. All these things that I've tried, understanding that it wasn't one magic bullet took time. There wasn't one pill to take this magic pill and you're better. It's, it's a combination of so many different things. And so far, all of the things that you've named, I've tried. <laughs> and I had to find what was right for me. Yeah. If you took my, if you took a, a twin and they had the exact same condition, the same things that helped me wouldn't help them. Absolutely. And they have to find what's right for them. And a lot of Absolutely. times it makes us feel like guinea pigs. Mm -hmm. it, but you've like the, you went right through all the symptoms and the ways that it mm -hmm. affects our lives. And, and mm -hmm. I really, I, I cannot wait to share this interview with my whole network because <laughs> it's like, whoa, a doctor that gets it better than any doctor. I mean, I know like some of the world specialists and you're, right up there with the knowledge that they have. So thank you so much. I wish you were still in practice. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. It's, uh, yeah, but look at it here. I am in New Zealand in a beautiful, beautiful country, which hasn't got so much money. Do you really think I've got the team around me where I can say, brilliant, okay, I need a, a nutritionist, a, a physiotherapist, occupational therapist, psychologist, psychiatrist, boom, 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 boom. How are you dreaming? Um, yeah. so but I'm, even in the US, I've set up my team. Uh, and and so it's not something that's readily available here either. It's it's work that the patient has to put in mm. along mm. with their primary care doctor to build that team. And it's so important to build a team around you that is able to help and to mm. do the research. And hey, I don't have access to a nutritionist in person there's apps on your phone that you can mm. get and you can talk directly to a nutritionist oh, indeed or i hired one to go to the grocery store with me and help me learn how to grocery shop properly because mm. we're not taught we go to the grocery store and we just oh that looks tasty and they, mm. we start taking things off the shelves are they right for us probably not mm -hmm. you know but we're there. I, I went and learned, I did microbiome testing and I also had a nutritionist help teach me and then had one through an app that I hired to walk me through how to eat all the right foods the right way. Okay. And then maybe we should go to that. So what we have done so far, we have explored the, the beast of chronic pain, looked specifically at the complex regional pain syndrome as, as a classic example of something that completely messes so much of your body and of your life. Then we looked at the treatments from very non-invasive to very invasive, and that it takes time. And the guinea pig, I love that way how you do it, because that's exactly how I described it to my patients. You need to consider that uh, for example, a drug like gabapentin or pregabalin or so, the number needed to treat is one in five, one in six, one in seven. That number needed to treat NNT is a concept where we as doctors say, well, you have to give the same drug to five, six, seven patients before you find one who gets significantly better. So that's the fact. Number needed to treat of one means it works all the time. And the only time that you have got a drug like that would be an antibiotic that has no resistance. That would be the only time that, that a drug is like that. Most drugs, they have a number needed to treat much higher. And there's also a number needed to harm. So NNT and NNH. 
harm means that you take the tablet and say, whoa, I see elephants. They <laughs> look nice. Um, okay, so, or they feel nauseous, or your dry mouth is so dry that literally you don't, you can't actually talk because your mouth sticks together. And that's sort of, you know, amitriptyline, the, the tricyclic antidepressants, things like that. They can have those side effects. So therefore, there are there might be a drug that might actually work for you, but the side effects are so bad that they outweigh the, outweigh the benefit. The only way we can find that out is by giving you that drug. And well, there's actually something in the United States that, that has changed my life. And I did it this past year. It's called pharmacogenomics testing. Ah. And with pharmacogenomics testing, it's how will your body's genetics work with this medication? And so anything that's FDA approved, approved by our government, um, is tested against my genetics. And I got a 70-something page report that goes through all the medications and how I will respond. So now there's no more trying uh, as I've done all these years, now I can know, will this be the right medication for me for this mm. symptom or condition based on my genetics before yeah. I ever try it? Sure. <laughs> um, I, a pinch of salt there. Uh, just be aware that that the genetic testing will show you, for example, that uh, certain things will work or not work. For example, mm -hmm. codeine is an example where 7% um, of the population do not really get any benefit out of it. They might as well take Smarties. Um, and that is that is one example. Um, yes. Typically, this genetic testing will be able to tell you if you're a slow uh, metabolizer or fast metabolizer. Mm -hmm. So therefore, if you gobble something up very quickly, then if the drug is supposed to be working 12 hours, yeah, nah, that, that won't work. And that is actually quite clinically relevant, if in all means, because, for example, for those of you out there who are on chronic pain medications, um, there are uh, certain drugs that are supposed to be given twice a day. Now, I would say about 30%, so one in three people who take that drug, that pain drug, twice a day will, by the end of those eight, nine, 10, 12 hours will be clock watching shit. When, uh, when is it, when is the next 12 hours finished? When can I take the next drug? That's called end of dose failure. And it means basically that, that they are gobbling quicker through that, uh, through the medication. And as a routine, probably most of the time I would have actually from the word go prescribed the drug that was supposed to be twice daily, three times daily in a smaller dose, um, to prevent that, rapid drop off at the end and then the clock watching, which might then show features that could be misunderstood as addiction. Um, so therefore, so just a little tip for you guys out there, if you recognize that in yourself, talk to your doctor and just change the dosing interval from twice daily to three times daily or from three times to four times daily. It's a bit more pain in the ass because you have to take it more. But please, when you're in pain uh, and you suddenly can get a better baseline of cover, would that not be nice? Absolutely. And, and having my results, I there was a medication I was taking and I kept saying, I think I'm allergic to this. I don't, I, I think it's making me worse. And the doctor was like, it's the best in the world. Keep taking it. And then I got my results back in February and she said, I'm so sorry. I made you take that for 10 months and you are actually allergic to this medication. And so what was I, that? What was that out of, out of interest? The medication was called fluconazole. Uh-huh. And it's um, for a fungal infection. I have yeah. valley fever. Yeah. It's a fungal infection here in the Southwest of the United States. And there's one medication for this disease and I'm allergic to it. And I yeah. actually am doing better without that medication uh, than I did with the medication. I was itching out of my skin. Interesting. So bad, like sores were, were appearing on me oh, from like scratching no. and itching so bad that um, they gave me special shampoo. They were giving me all these other things. And I kept saying, but I think I'm allergic to the medication. And it turned out that I was. Oh, so. but see, how interesting is that, isn't it? It is, yeah. but this is, this, is, this is part of the journey. Uh, however much we as doctors hate it and you as patients hate it, that is part of the journey, trying to figure out what bloody hell works and what not. Yeah. And uh, it is interesting because here we are, um, you're responding allergic to fluconazole. 
when you actually never had fluconazole. So why the heck? What's going on there? Okay, so it's I'll take it that if you have been exposed to an antibiotic at one stage and then then get some get it again and you're allergic. Okay, um, but here we are. There is something funky going on, and that's again and again something that we see. For example, in anesthesia, uh, patients are responding to muscle relaxant with a nasty anaphylaxis with a nasty allergic reaction yet they have never had that before in their life. We know that because they never had an anesthetic. So here they are responsive. And that is that is all the chemicals that basically are in our food that you beautiful women out there put on yourselves to make you more beautiful. So the, the painting by numbers, Okay. Right. Um, unfortunately, in the in the in some of the cosmetics, there is a lot of crap in there, and yep. even expensive crap can still be crap. Um, right. And so suddenly you develop allergies due to the fact that you have constantly exposed your your eyes to the ingredients of the mascara, etc. Um, so down the line, you're in trouble. Now that Absolutely. is really that's really really important because it shows actually the importance of what we put in our body and on our body in this case. And that is where the nutrition comes in. That's where you already alluded to. And, and there's something that we so take for granted, and yet it is so, uh, the nutrition for most of us is crap. It's absolute crap. And yes. you had that journey. Tell us, tell us that part of that journey. How did that come yeah. about that so, you looked okay. at your nutrition? A few years ago, well, I have gastroparesis, so I was on, I've been on a liquid diet on and off for years because the food just wouldn't digest, and that was the best way to keep calories down, mm. was to make it liquid. And so um, a friend suggested that I try a, a microbiome test here in the United States called Viome, and I took the test, which is um, you have to poop. And then take a piece of your poop, put it in a tube and mail it to a lab, which is kind of awkward and <laughs> not fun. Um, <laughs> but yep. those results are but, really? absolutely. But? You have to say but. But. <laughs> yeah. Come on, come on. But, but the results are amazing and have changed my life. I mm. was a chronic kidney stone maker. Mm. I was having seizures often and. I've stopped having, it's been about three years now. I've stopped having kidney stones, um, knock on wood. And um, hopefully I never have another kidney stone again. And I also have um, really not had a seizure in about a year. Um, and But that like wow. slowly tapered to no seizures. And that was strictly following the, the recommendations that came back from the lab saying, these are your superfoods, eat them all you want. Here's the foods to absolutely avoid. Do not eat these things, which some of the things on the list to absolutely avoid were my favorites. And I can no longer have bacon. I can no longer, you know, I, I, I can't have pistachios and almonds, things that I love, but I would rather not have a kidney stone and feel better than eat the things I'm not supposed to eat. And uh, one of the things, soy, Soy is in so much of our food nowadays that I cannot have soy. And in just getting, I believe, off of soy, because it was one of the things I took away latest off this list, um, I lost 24 pounds just getting off of soy. And I believe me, before I was in remission or what I call remission from RSD, I um, was about 90 pounds and I got as high as 142. Um, cause after I felt better, I could eat more and I was just shoveling it in. Um, <laughs> and then having to be on steroids once in a while, that just helped me just shovel it in more. And so I, I got my weight up and now I'm back down to about 120 and it's more healthy. I feel better. Stop the kidney stones you know, I, I'm doing better. And it all came down to changing what I'm eating and being able to, my body's better able to process what I am eating. And I know what my superfoods are, so I can mm. stick to those and do better. Mm. Did you also introduce probiotics and, and uh, lactobacillus, so healthy yeah. bacteria into your gut? Yes, probiotics, uh, for sure. 
I didn't recognize the other words that you said. Oh, lactobacillus are the the good guys in the gut. So the healthy healthy bacteria, and you can get them in tablet form um, or basically it's it's the yogurt, the yogurt, all those. There are either either things that you can purchase or you just make your own yogurt at home. Um, But that that only gives you a certain lactobacillus. Uh, Lactobacillus is one of the good guys. These are the the guys down there. We want to have five different versions of them down there. They're like the good police. That are that are keeping the other guys in check. Um, so that is what we want in our gut. Absolutely. Um, so exactly. So that's the gut microbiome. Gut microbiome means these are all the cells that are living in our gut. They are part and parcel of us. And if you actually look about it, uh, watch that, guys. If you think you all who you are uh, that is all coming from mommy and daddy well no, no. um about it's also food. lifestyle and environment <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah no no in the sense of the cells if you just count all the cells that make you barbie and now say which of these cells come from mommy and daddy they are probably 30 40 percent from memory that's about the ballpark figure the rest of the cells are actually bacteria that are living in and on you um, so most of you <laughs> is actually not for mommy and daddy. So you think bloody hell, um, but these are many of them are so good guys. And without them, you would be bloody dead. Okay. Um, because, the, and we see that with the leaky gut syndrome, with, with other, uh, problems that, that we are constantly facing in modern society. Um, because this gut microbiome is shot to pieces, um, either to nutrition or alcohol, or drugs, or antibiotics, um, anything like that, chronic disease, all those kind of things can work together, often multifactorial, to destroy the good guys in your gut, and you end up with a leaky gut where basically um, the bad guys having a field day. I mean, imagine a party of 100 people in your living room and everyone throwing bottles around. That's pretty much what happens in your gut. Needless to say, there will be holes in the wall and windows smashed. Well, and through those windows, the cold wind is coming in. In your case, there's all kind of poisons and toxins and weird shit that's supposed to stay in the gut, goes now into the body and starts revving up the body and you get chronic inflammation. Now, chronic inflammation, guess what neuropathic pain is? It's chronic inflammation of the, the, the nerve cells. So great, you know, if you actually suddenly think, huh, this is how it works. And you then go to someone who actually knows what he's doing, a good nutritionist. And you obviously found the resources there uh, to help you and to guide you. Suddenly, your life changes. And you think, what? Beautiful. Absolutely. It absolutely has changed. And it's something that it it was a a lot of the the symptoms disappeared overnight or over a few weeks. Some took a little bit longer. And some things I'm like, oh, but I really like that. Do I really have to cut that out? I cut all these other things out. (laughs) And then then you you go, oh, yeah, let's just give it a little try. And like for me, I I even tried keto a keto diet where you cut out ketogenic foods or co- foods that cause ketosis, um, right? I, I don't know if I'm saying that exactly correctly, but I I tried that for six months and all it did was drive me mad and make me irritable. But then when I got my microbiome test back, it said I was fine with gluten. Gluten doesn't bother my body, so I'm like, oh, all right, I can back in. Um, <laughs> and I, I, at some points was like, I wish I had a gluten shaker. Like, you know, you shake salt on your food. I don't use extra salt on my food, but I would have put extra gluten on my food when I was cutting it out of my diet. <laughs> oh, damn. Now it is, uh, I know exactly how you feel. Yeah. About five years ago, I did some, uh, some, uh, testing myself and I'm German. So please, I love a good German breakfast. So if you've got lovely bread, you have good cheese, eggs, salami, you ne- butter, you have it all there. And then you, um, you spread it out <laughs> all over the table. And it's, yeah. And guess what I'm allergic to? <laughs> Gluten, dairy, oh. egg. <laughs> I was allergic to my German breakfast, basically. Oh, no. <laughs> that's what, uh. Exactly. That's what I said. And I said, yeah. nah. 
And then, but I believed the guy. I I, I knew, and I had the, the, the data in front of me. I mean, there were the allergy tests, and I thought, yeah. oh God. Yeah. So against my better judgment, oh, wrong, against the will of the of the guy in me who wants who, who wants to keep living and eating all the yummy foods, um, yeah. I changed. So steaks and salad for breakfast, basically, and then for lunch and for dinner and, and, and chicken breast and broccoli and things like that. Anyhow, yeah. stuff that I loved eating, but uh, in between there would have been lots of other not so healthy stuff. Yeah. And amazing, within six, eight weeks, a very chronic and very painful pain syndrome in my foot, gone. I was there 18 months and uh, I had all kinds of treatments, experimental treatment, nothing had worked. Um, and suddenly, yeah, eight weeks later, gone. My hay fever, no longer really assistant, existent. A little shoulder pain that I had from an old sports injury, gone. Okay. Yeah. It but really does make a difference. And, and that's the thing is people, they don't realize you're like your mind, your body, your spirit, everything needs attention. But when you look at your physical body, you don't realize that what you put on your skin, as you said, makeup, lotions, mm. all of that stuff gets mm. sucked in. What are you putting on actually? What are you putting in your hair? What are you putting in your gut? Mm. All of these things matter. And Absolutely. they, uh, even like a pain in your jaw, like if your jaw is off, can cause pain in your feet mm -hmm. just from your jawbone being off and pinching off nerves to the brain. It, mm -hmm. it really, you have to look at the whole body and all of the systems and areas of the body and mm -hmm. mind and spirit to make yourself the best human you can be so that you can go out and do things. Absolutely. I love the way that you described it because that is exactly it. You don't, it, I see so many patients that said, I've tried everything. And when they, when you say, well, what do you mean with that? Oh, look, I had that tablet and it didn't work. And then I had Next that procedure. tablet yeah. or that procedure. That, that didn't injection. work. That's right. And so you've got this single intervention at various points in time. And they expected that this golden bullet take, gets rid of everything. And then when you interest, introduce actually in a holistic kind of sort of understanding, uh, it's often, what? And then, then those people who actually take that on, those are the people that are really, uh, that I meet nowadays, who say, oh, hey, Stefan, yeah, I was a patient of yours in the past. Look at me, no tablets, no nothing, it's all gone. Uh, oh, wow, How? tell me more, tell me more. Uh, you helped me really, thank you so much. And then later on, I changed my life, did this, did that, did that. And it was, it's multifactorial. So you introduce uh, a, a different belief system, um, the, the way you, you feel about your, your injury. If you, are, if you can't move on from your injury psychologically, and you've got a rip-roaring PTSD, you relive those eight seconds again and again at every second of the day or of the night, well, guess what? Your pain will not get better. I can feed you any tablet in this world. Um, if you don't deal with the underlying trauma that is now fueling everything else in your body, you will not get better. Okay? Absolutely. And the other thing that we have not explained here is that there is such, they are not, things don't happen in isolation. Here's the body with the pain. Here is the crap sleep. Here is the depression and the anxiety and the tears and all the emotions. Well, they are not just there in isolation. So if you have got um, rip-roaring PTSD, stop with that. And then as part of that, your sleep is shot because you've got nightmares and you completely relive everything and your heightened vigilance. This heightened vigilance, um, the sleep disturbance in its own right, if I take a normal person, don't let him sleep for three nights, well, guess what? You have They're got pain. Have the they have got pain in every single part of the body in muscles that they didn't even know they have. So, yeah. so the sleep disturbance that I created in a volunteer causes the chronic pain. The chronic pain then causes the lousy mood. So you've got these vicious circles going on yep. round and round and round. It is. Yeah. When I did infusion therapy, I, I thought during, I knew that my sleep wasn't great, but I was sleeping like 30 to 45 minutes at a time and sleeping sometimes up to 20 hours a day. 
and had the depression and, and anxiety and all of these things. And then after I had done the infusion therapy, I actually had a real night's sleep for like about a week straight. And then I, all of a sudden my thinking got clearer. Things started coming into perspective. And what did I just do for the last seven years? I literally didn't sleep for seven years appropriately. And that played so much havoc and, and affected my physical pain in so many ways that once I got the cycle broken, I was able to consciously understand what had just happened for the last seven years. And there's something to be said about what, what you just said in infusion therapy. Most of infusions, most, most of the things that I uh, have either given myself or seen other people give, give you a bit of a pain holiday. It's very rare that we can switch something completely off. Um, but this pain holiday can be so beautiful because it can provide you with a window of sanity. And that's exactly how I explained it to the patients. Um, this is not fixing you, but it might improve you for three, three weeks or so. And during that time, if you work with your physiotherapist very aggressively or work with, with you know, actually catch up with sleep, those kind of things, suddenly you're a new person. And that's so beautiful. So therefore, even whilst uh, most infusions or most most injections, as I said, I would say anywhere between a week and two and three months, that's probably the realistic thing for most things. Um, yeah, uh, it is. That is still can be of great benefit, but an insurance company will not necessarily understand that. They will say, well, that's a failure. You didn't fix it. Um, <laughs> no, so my luckily... Uh, so far, my insurance company has been really good. At first, they said they weren't going to cover it. Uh, and then they saw me go from wheelchair to, to walking. And I, I went in the wheelchair. My first infusion was seven days long. Mm. And I went in in a wheelchair. And seven days later, I teeter-tottered my way out of the hospital. And they said, oh, we need to relook at this. And mm. I no longer needed daily pain medication and, mm. and, you know, I, I could get some of my life back. Mm. And so all of a sudden the insurance came in and said, okay, we are going to cover this and we're going to help you out. Because oh, brilliant. They, they saw the benefit. Mm. What was that? What was that infusion? What was, it, what? Um, well, it's uh, the ingredient that helps is ketamine, mm. which is the anesthetic, <laughs> but <laughs> it's not by itself. I, I get other medications to block hallucinations and the nausea that and sometimes vomiting that can come from it and um, anxiety that can sometimes come from it. So mm. for me, it's five different medications, that being the one that, that got me walking again. But I've had to do physical therapy and counseling and all these other things to change my diet and all, all mm. the things that I've done. So it wasn't just the infusions. It mm. was a combination of things. But that was the thing that got me walking again. Absolutely. And that's beautiful. Now, ketamine is uh, ketamine therapy of CRPS is still controversial. I'm pleased that you had access to it. Um, it is uh, it is it can be a lifesaver. There's no two ways around that. Um, but but it's also if, if your pharmacogenomics come back and ketamine doesn't work for you, you have to know and understand that too it's not right for every single person it's correct. not correct it's not the like end all be all mm. for, for it's not like oh we cured it no we just are basically my the doctor who gave me the infusions first um he just passed away but he was a pioneer with this here in america and he did a lot of studies on it and he mm. said it's like rebooting a computer. So your computer gets a virus and you have these things happening. So you shut your computer down, you bring it back up and it works okay for a little while, but the virus is still there and it's going to catch back up and it's going to, to come back out of remission or affect the workings of the computer. And that's what's happening is when I do the infusions three to four times a year, which is exactly the time frame you said it could work, you know, every, for a few months at a time, that's what it gives me. And so it's like two to four days out of my life every quarter of the year. Mm. But then I get mm. to live the days in between that mm. to the fullest that I can to keep me going and keep me living. <laughs> I've communicated with him when I was still in the field and, and oh. discussed patients and things like that. So it is actually, yes, you're right. Yes, you're absolutely right. But as I said, 
this is deemed highly controversial still. And yeah. there's not the, right for everybody. No, it that's just exactly right. To be right for me. Mm. And I've seen I've seen patients myself who um, who I was able to do a ketamine infusion down the line as a follow up treatment after they had returned back from the states, um, and yeah, it was it was well worthwhile. Oh goodness, goodness gracious, it is. That was a an, an very amazing interview, and we could actually now talk probably for the better part of twenty four hours because it is such a crazy crazy disease it is it is such a misunderstood disease so therefore once we two actually spell out we two are preaching to the choir here we are saying hey you know i see that oh yeah yeah i know i see that and and you tell me one vignette and i say oh yeah i met this patient and yeah, yeah and it's we could go on forever and yeah. there is that we could go on forever means that there is so much for you guys out there to learn if you're in chronic pain then this is not quick fix. This is something where you need to become more knowledgeable than your doctor. And I love it how you said, I've put that team together around me. That's exactly what you need to do, guys. Go out there and find your tribe and, and find people who believe you to start off with and who can guide you there. It's basically, you need to find one door that's half open go through that door and then that door leaves you into a corridor with other open doors. But initially you might be in a, in a hallway that's very, very dark and everything is locked because no one has seen it. And don't give up. Just keep going through that, that hallway. Uh, it might take 42 um, <laughs> doctors, 41 doctors, I think it was in your case, until you finally got to a half open door. But it is don't give up. And I think that is... The key thing that is the key thing for mental health that is the key thing for any chronic pain condition do not give up do not give up there is always something out there that can be of help now not necessarily immediately available to you now and here this might be available overseas this might be available in three years time when the te technology catches up um, or et cetera, et cetera. So, but I guess the point is I've seen so many changes in my career happening, so many realizations that it, the, the link between food and chronic pain, that's really only something that came about in the last 20 years. I must say uh, this, even in, in 2010, around about there, I went to a world Congress of pain, um, there was there was one little poster somewhere from Russia that looked at the in at the influence of gluten and and pain syndromes, um, and you know this was still sort of fringe, and nowadays when I mean, it probably is still fringe um, for school medicine, but it becomes more known and patients become more knowledgeable, and they are pushing towards testing towards various forms of interventions and suddenly they come back with hey look that happened to me <laughs> and your family doctor says what you were in a wheelchair how the hell do you walk in here what happened to you and that is how you start a revolution so therefore that's where you can be so powerful where you take get back in the driver's seat but not in the driver's seat of the quick quick Quick, but rather actually, okay, <laughs> the bulldozer. Yeah, you become, you come like Barbie who says, no, 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 no. We not give up. We not give up. We, we strong. We build drive. We gonna go boom, 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 boom. I'm gonna drum it out there until doctors listen. And I like That's that right. a lot. I like that attitude a lot. Barbie, thank you so much for an amazing, amazing interview. I, I didn't know where this would go today. But God, this, we could talk for hours here. Um, and for that, I'm very, very grateful that you shared all this information, that you that you opened up and, and, and said how it was all for you. Um, what we did not go into was the dark night of the soul, uh, because there would have been many, many moments where you were, were close to, to giving up, where the tears were just unstoppable in those. Um, and guys, don't take that for granted. I mean, Bobby is a leader. I'm a leader. But 
we all have gone through very, very, very dark times. So everyone you see nowadays, who you listen to and people that give you inspiration, inevitably have been at their lowest themselves. So if you were at your lowest, welcome to the club, brother, sister. Um, <laughs> this is, this is we've been there. We've just been a little bit now further down the path. Um, and we invite you to come onto that path with us to on that path of hope on that path of of going out there and taking life by the short and curlies and say come on let's 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 make this life work whatever curveballs uh, the gods or or the universe has thrown you um it doesn't matter you have got the choice of making right now a decision uh how will you look at your life what will you do right now and you can either poor me poor me Pour me another one. That's one way of coping. And sometimes you need to. Sometimes you just need to roll up in, a, in the fetal position and cry. Cool. Just don't pitch your tent there. So it's okay for now and then to do that. And then come back up fighting and say, okay, right. What can we do now to make you feel better? And that might be as simple as having a good, healthy dinner. Or might be as rehydration. You think, shit, I haven't actually drunk for 24 hours. Things like that. Start with the basics. And Barbie has so many more tips in her book that is so important. So from uh, from wheels to heels, I need to make sure that I don't don't flitch it around. There you go. And guys, please, I, I, again, we could spend ten minutes and talking about her social media and all the activities. Look down there, down there in the YouTube uh, show in uh, in the podcast, the the show notes. It's all in there. There's a myriad of ways how you can get in touch with Bobby, and please do so. Follow her blog, uh, listen to her, and and learn from her, because this woman has gone for shit, and now she is actually a really. I mean, look at you. It's, it's a power, powerful woman who doesn't give up. And for that, I commend you. And for that, I'm very, very, very grateful that you're there to give hope to all these people out there. Thank you so much for having me. Mm. And I do hope that if someone's listening and they need help, please reach out and, and look up the resources that are in the show notes and reach out to me. And uh, I connect with people all over the world. So I'm looking forward to hearing from you. Fantastic. Bobby, thank you so much. And you guys out there, stay strong, don't give up, and look after yourself. Bye.